All right, here we go. Greetings, co-detective, and welcome to this episode of Renegade Files, your portal into stories of UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, and all those strange and unsolved things that we love. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, coming to you from the Jungle Villa Outpost, way down deep in the uncharted tropics. This is Renegade Files episode 38, The Stephenville UFO Sightings. With the setting sun on 8 January 2008, several residents of a small town in Texas saw an enormous flying object with multiple lights. The object changed shape, changed orientation, moved at incredible speeds, and was pursued by military fighter jets. The multiple witnesses included a pilot, a government security officer, and more than one policeman. Local newspaper reporter Angelia Joyner wrote two breaking articles on the sightings, and when these were picked up by the larger news agencies, the story became national news. What followed was a series of UFO sighting events that checks many boxes of intrigue. An initial military denial. That denial subsequently reversed. A fired reporter and corroborating radar data that confirm the sightings. This is a fascinating story about a unique and bizarre UFO. Several credible witnesses, military backpedaling, one reporter's extreme dedication to uncovering the truth, and the difficult and thoughtful work of two MUFON field investigators who dove deep to discover evidence that proves this case to be much more than tripping townsfolk seeing shooting stars at sundown. Come with me now as we pack our field excursion kits, fill the Rotopax cans with extra fuel, and head into Central Texas cow country to investigate the Stephenville UFO sightings. Stephenville UFO sightings. Stephenville UFO sightings. UFO sightings. UFO sightings. UFO sightings. Part one. That's no moon. That's no moon. I have to say that getting back into the UFO topic for this episode has been really fun, and this is a good one, so let's get into it straight away. Stephenville, Texas is in the central part of that great state, and it's known for producing dairy cows, rodeo legends, and high school football championships. Then, on January the 8th, 2008, on a farm just 10 miles from the Stephenville city limits, there occurred a most extraordinary event. On that evening as the sun set, several area residents observed a large, physical, unidentified object that displayed strange lights in the sky above an area known as Selden. Other residents who saw the UFO at the same time, but from further distances, could only make out the lights and not the craft itself. The following day, local newspaper reporter Angelia Joyner fielded several calls from witnesses. These witnesses either knew Joyner or had been referred to her by others who knew her to be trustworthy and not given to sensationalism. 
Angelia Joyner published two stories on the sightings in back-to-back issues of the Stephenville Empire Tribune on January 10th and 11th of 2008. Then she published a third story on the 13th. She wrote many more for both the paper and for a website created specifically to host these reports, but these first three were what broke the story. The first news story published on the 10th described the accounts of residents Steve Allen, Mike and Claudette Odom, and Lance Jones, who all saw the object as a group. So right away, we have a component which adds a good dose of credibility to a sighting like this, which is a group of people who all saw something simultaneously while they were together and who all also tell essentially the same story about what they saw. The second report from Angelia Joyner published the next day on the 11th tells more stories of the sightings that occurred on the 8th. Some of these are the ones from further away, and this article is also the first mention of commentary by a military official, that being Major Carl Lewis of the Naval Air Station Joint Reserve Base at Fort Worth. Brief as it is in this article, it is the first such record of the military being contacted, so it's worth mentioning. There aren't many details about how this initial interaction took place. All we know is that Joyner reached out to the Naval Air Station sometime between when she received the first reports from witnesses, probably on the morning of the 9th, and when she wrote the second article that was published on the 11th. Joyner then wrote a third article that came out on the 13th of January 2008 and this is the first mention of MUFON, the mutual UFO network being involved. Joyner would later find out that MUFON was flooded with UFO reports from the Stephenville area on the night of the 8th and we'll look into that and more of what MUFON found out in part 3 of this episode so stay tuned. By the time her third story came out, the news had begun to spread across the country. We'll go over the highlights of those first three articles that broke the story to the local residents and then eventually to the world in order to learn more about exactly what happened on that night. Now, since all of these articles focus on a single event, let's just go through the testimonies and descriptions without jumping back and forth to distinguish each of the three articles as we do. And I'll simply paraphrase most of this, except for direct witness quotes. And regarding these quotes, I'll stick to the quotes most important to the case, and I'll spare you the more local interest stuff. For general source attribution, the following information comes from these three articles. Possible UFO sighting, January 10th, 2008. Mysterious Sightings Keep Locals Guessing, January 11th, 2008, and All Eyes on the Skies, January 13th, 2008, all of these written by Angelia Joyner and published in the Stephenville Empire Tribune. Links to these articles and all of the research from this episode, including videos of Angelia Joyner addressing audiences and more, can be found in the dark intel files at patreon.com slash renegadefiles where you can kick a few bucks across the internet to help me make these episodes, keep them free of corporate ads, get punk rock level bonus episodes, and constantly updated patron-only content. 
You also get to interact with me and the other RFA agents there. It's free to look. There's cool free content there as well. So check it out through the Patreon link in the show notes and I will see you in there. Thank you. Thank you. So starting with the first reports, we learned that Mike and Claudette Odom, Steve Allen, and Lance Jones, these were four friends living in the Stephenville, Texas area, were hanging out one late afternoon at the Odom's house as the Texas sun set beyond the hills and dyed the fading skies red. In the graying light of the backyard at 6.15 p.m., the three men noticed pulsing lights at an altitude of about 3,500 feet. The initial detailed description comes to us from Steve Allen, a private pilot with over 30 years of flying experience. He tells Joyner, quote, The ship wasn't really visible and was totally silent, but the lights spanned about a mile long and half mile wide. The lights went from corner to corner. It was directly above Highway 67 traveling towards Stephenville at a high rate of speed, about 3,000 miles per hour is what I would estimate. End quote. Allen, and remember he's a pilot, goes on to say that the lights were not those of a normal aircraft and that as they watched the object move silently, the object reconfigured itself so that the lights went from the formation of dots in a single horizontal line, then to form an arch, Then the individual lights merged to form a solid vertical line, which then divided into two parallel vertical lines. He continues by saying, quote, The two sets were approximately one quarter of a mile apart. Then they turned into dirty, burning flames. The flames were not blue, they were white in color. About two seconds later, it disappeared completely. End quote. So Alan, Odom, and Jones all saw it at the same time, and once it was gone, they stayed outside and speculated about what they had just seen. They were perplexed, and none of them had a clear idea about what it might have been, only that they all agreed it wasn't any normal aircraft or object, like a plane, a helicopter, or a shooting star. Then, ten minutes later, the object or an object exactly like it returned and flew directly over them. Once again, Alan. This time it came from the west, traveling eastward toward Glen Rose, and it was about two or three miles south of 67, and two military jets, possibly F-16s, were in pursuit. End quote. Alan also went on to be quoted in an NPR article where he said the object was, quote, bigger than a Walmart, and that the fighter jets were, quote, hopelessly outmaneuvered. Allen's friend, Mike Odom, whose house it was where this took place, is quoted in the article as saying, it's unexplainable. It was something not natural. It was moving way too fast. I think this thing bothered all of us, but it probably bothered Steve more because he's a pilot and he flies a lot. End quote. Lance Jones, who was also there, said, quote, It was neat. It was something. I've never seen anything like it before, but it didn't scare me. I just figured it was military. The fourth witness that night at the Odom house was Claudette Odom, who was a flight attendant and came outside when the guys were raising a fuss at the first sighting. 
She said, quote, Lights were going up and down the side. There was no sound, just the lights. It was moving so fast. It wasn't a plane. I know how planes move. Honestly, I think it was a UFO. It was so fast, you couldn't have put your finger on it and moved it fast enough to follow it. End quote. And that's interesting because it gives us a unique physical description of the speed they were seeing this object attain. And you intuitively know you could put your finger over a flying plane and track it across the sky, even the fastest jet taking off you could. Maybe you've done it before. It's a good illustration she gives us to describe it. And she was also a flight attendant, so she would have watched many planes take off, fly, and land. Angelia Joyner went on to interview other residents whose quotes appeared in her additional articles. One of those is David Jaquez, and I think that's how you say his name. It's J-A-Q-U-E-S-S. So Jacques or Jaquez. Anyway, David says, quote, I live 4.6 miles out on Highway 67. About 6.15 p.m., I saw something as I was turning in my driveway. I won't say it was a UFO, but I will say it was UFL, meaning it was unidentified flying lights. They were real bright yellow, and I thought I must be seeing the sun reflecting off a plane. I'm guessing they were five miles away from me, but they were unusually bright, like a welding arc being struck. It was that bright. I don't discount UFOs, but I don't necessarily believe in them either. I got a call this morning saying there was a story about a UFO in today's paper and it was out where I live. I immediately said, yeah, I saw it. I was looking west, southwest. End quote. Now this is important to the case because Jacques lives on Highway 67, which we know was also used as a landmark by Steve Allen in his first quote to Joyner. In fact, he said that the object they saw was directly over Highway 67, and both Jacques, who lives on 67, and Allen and his friends who saw the object over Highway 67 give the exact same time of 6.15 p.m. on January the 8th. Next, we come to the first quote from Dublin Constable Roy Gayton, Dublin is a nearby town, and in this case, a constable is like a police chief or a sheriff. Gayton says, At first, it was two red burning glows that went away and then came back on. I went inside to tell my wife. When I came back out, I saw something like lights you'd see at a bar. My little boy and I counted, and we came up with nine flashes, and they were real spread out but I couldn't see them attached to anything, just the lights. So I went to my pickup and got by binoculars to see if I could see a plane or something. Even with the binoculars, there was no outline. It started moving towards Stephenville and moving so fast I had trouble following it with my binoculars. It covered a big area. It sounds crazy, but we really saw what we saw. Resident Ann Fraser tells us in the article, quote, I was going down 914 toward Alexander. Just as I got to the hill at Alexander where Highway 6 crosses, I saw them, the lights. It scared me. I thought two planes were about to collide. The lights were as bright as a school bus ahead of you but up in the air. 
they were certainly much closer to the ground than I would appreciate them to be, and it's possible she meant expect them to be. I looked in my mirrors and there were no reflections. Just as I got up to the top of the hill, they were gone. It was about 6.40 p.m. The last quote from a witness in those first articles by Joyner comes to us from retired airman James Hughes, who says, quote, I was a navigational specialist in the Air Force, and I don't know what it was that I saw while I was walking two friends to their car at my home, but as soon as I saw it, I jokingly said to them, hey look, a UFO. I saw two red lights acting unusual. They were two very bright red lights traveling in formation. By formation, I mean they kept their positions respective to each other. They were so intensely bright that I realized they must be at a low altitude. But there was no noise. The lights were not like a helicopter or a plane. I lived near the courthouse, actually two blocks from it, towards the river. I was looking north. It was unusual. So those are the initial first-hand witness accounts of what has come to be known as the Stephenville UFO mass sighting reported by Joyner in 2008 and that took the press by storm. In the end, as many as 40 witnesses came forward with accounts of seeing this UFO. All of the witnesses reported seeing silent lights or a silent lighted object low in the evening sky at the same time it moved at incredible speeds, and the witnesses included a pilot, an airline flight attendant, a law enforcement constable, and an Air Force navigation specialist, as well as others. Witnesses also mentioned seeing fighter jets arrive and pursue the object. Not a plane, not a helicopter, like nothing they had ever seen before. Part 2 the military responds. Angelia Joyner was one of the first to reach out to the military seeking answers about whatever it was everyone was seeing that night in Texas. She contacted the Naval Air Base at Carswell Field near Fort Worth and asked if they could give her any information about the object witnesses had seen chased away by fighter jets and at this point these witnesses would have been the four friends at the Odom House. But the airbase officials said they had no fighter jets in the area of Stephenville on the night of these sightings. They also suggested that what the witnesses saw could have been an optical illusion caused by the setting sun reflected from an earthly aircraft, and one of the witnesses did say he initially thought that's what it was. This explanation infuriated some of those who had seen not only the object but the fighter jets as well in particular Claudette Odom. In a story written by Wade Goodwin for NPR, that's National Public Radio, entitled Air Force Alters Texas UFO Explanation, flight attendant Claudette is quoted as saying, I don't know what they're trying to cover up. We saw what we saw. I know they were fighter jets. In this NPR article, Claudette also describes the lights as flickering, then going solid, so stop flickering, and moving as fast as a missile. Then she says the lights stopped, hovered, then shifted into the shape of a giant arch. 
Then the lights transformed into a single bright vertical line for a moment, which then split into two sections. This also corroborates Steve Allen's description of the object shifting shapes into a vertical line that then divided into two parts. Claudette said at this point these vertical lights were, quote, extremely, extremely bright, like an arc on a welder. And this is the second time that we have this arc welder description of the intensity of the light. She said just after the object had transformed into these two vertical lines that she and the men with her were all startled by the explosive sounds of two F-16 fighter jets screaming directly over a small hill on their property at a low altitude and heading directly toward the UFO. When she later heard the military say there were no fighter jets in the area on that night, she was shocked. But she may have been equally as shocked when, two weeks later, Air Force officials came forward to say that they actually did have F-16s flying over Stephenville, Texas on January 8, 2008. Once again, Major Carl Lewis, and he attributed the change in response to a communication mistake. And all of this is directly from the NPR article. In fact, military officials went on to suggest that what the witnesses had seen that night were actually these jets doing maneuvers, and they mistook the jets for the UFO they reported. Does Angelina Joyner think the witnesses could have mistaken the F-16s for the UFO? According to NPR, absolutely not. And they go on to say that Joyner feels that the initial military denial and following F-16 admission only bolsters the witnesses' stories. It was not long after these initial stories and their subsequent wider coverage across the nation that Angelina Joyner left the Stephenville Empire Tribune. Much has been made about whether she was fired or quit, and I did hear a recording of Joyner herself explaining at a conference exactly what happened, so here are the basics of why and how she ended up leaving the paper, according to her. She was not just a reporter at the Stephenville Empire Tribune, but she was a sort of managing editor, and one of her responsibilities was to find and create the headlining stories that would appear on the front page of each new edition. When the UFO story first gained attention, it was front page news, and the higher-ups at the paper were happy because they were selling more copies than ever before. Newsstands and newspaper machines were being sold out and people were showing up at the newspaper offices trying to buy more copies. The paper increased printing numbers but continued to sell so many papers that they could not satisfy the demand. But like with every news story, as the strange lights in the sky became old news, at least to those in charge of the newspaper, those UFO stories started to be shifted to the middle or the back of the new editions, and regardless of their position in the paper, Joyner was still interviewing the people, doing the research, and chasing down the leads to write those articles. But she was also still responsible for finding and creating the front page articles and each paper's big headlines, and the Texas boys running the paper 
didn't want no more daggum UFO stories on the front page. She began to write the UFO content on her days and nights off and the front page stories while she was at work and doing both of these things became impossible. But her phone was still ringing off the hook with new witnesses, MUFON agents, pilots, and who knows who else with more UFO information and she felt like she could not abandon all of those people. These people were passionate about what they had seen. They were desperate to tell their story. And she is a compassionate person. Since she could no longer do both jobs as well as she would like to do them, she put in her two weeks notice to resign from the paper. And she created a website with the help of someone else to keep publishing the Stephenville UFO stories that she kept getting. But before those two weeks were up, her boss met with her and told her to just leave, which she did. So it was one of those cases where the person quits and then the boss says, you can't quit, you're fired. Almost two months after the first articles on the UFO sightings, Joyner published a story detailing the experience of Mike Zimmerman, who was a retired lawman who worked for both the Texas Department of Public Safety and was part of the protective details for five Texas governors, including George Bush while Bush was governor of Texas. Zimmerman said that on the night of January 31st, also 2008, he saw lights outside of his home's window, through which he watched for several minutes with his wife. They watched an oblong object that was connected somehow to a group of lights that changed colors from white to orange. These lights emitted other beams of light that stretched toward the ground but stopped in midair. He was perplexed by that and he was never able to explain it. Zimmerman knew about the previous sightings and he said that what he saw seemed different than what had been reported on January 8th. Zimmerman drew a colored sketch of what he and his wife saw for Joyner and I have that drawing in the pictures of the dark intel files for this episode on Patreon. Some comments online suggest that what Zimmerman saw was the constellation Corvus, or maybe the conjunction of Venus and Jupiter, but he first noticed bright lights through his window, in the house where he lived and had lived for years. I doubt that if I walked past my window at night and saw stars outside that I would describe and draw the object that Zimmerman has given us. This is classic lazy debunking. Someone like Zimmerman gives us a compass direction or often just a general direction like east for an unidentified flying object they saw from some location. Then debunkers orient that compass direction from the town that person was in which they can locate on Google Maps. Then they compare that vantage point to the star app on their phone, and what do you know? There are stars and constellations in the sky where that guy was looking. He must have seen this or that star, those two stars, this constellation of stars, because look, they are in the direction where he was looking. Really? Okay, Sherlock. Did you know that there are stars and constellations in the night skies in every direction from every house in the world on Earth? But thank you, Mr. Debunker, for the lame explanation. Moving on. Part 3. MUFON 
on the night of January the 8th, 2008, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, received 17 reports in a four-hour period from the Stephenville, Texas area. The MUFON director of research for that area was Rupert Powell, and after following up with the witnesses, he filed 10 Freedom of Information Act requests, and through those, he was able to get his hands on radar records from the FAA and the National Weather Service. He also sent FOIA requests to the NSA, but those were ignored. Powell received radar data for the night in question from 10 locations. The Federal Aviation Administration in Fort Worth, Texas, the National Weather Service in Fort Worth, the Department of the Air Force, 30th Space Wing, Vandenberg, California, the Department of the Air Force, 21st Space Wing, Patterson Air Force Base, Colorado, Dias Air Force Base in Abilene, Texas, Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas, the 10th Air Force Naval Air Station Joint Reserve Base in Fort Worth, Texas, also known as Carswell Air Force Base or Carswell Field. This was the base that Joyner first contacted the 4th Marine Aircraft Wing, Naval Air Station, Joint Reserve Base, also Fort Worth, Texas, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection in Washington, D.C., as well as the Department of the Army, Fort Hood, Texas. Now, it should be noted that the radar data provided to MUFON that was collected from these locations, many of them military installations, is all radar data from the FAA and the National Weather Service and not the military. In fact, the report is very clear, stating that, quote, there was no radar information provided by any of the United States military branches. These are just radar units that the FAA and the NWS has at these bases. Armed with huge amounts of valid radar data, Powell connected with fellow MUFON investigator Glenn Schultz, who had radar interpretation experience from his time working at the White Sands Missile Range. Together, they analyzed the radar telemetry, compared it to the witness accounts, and documented their findings in a 77-page report entitled Special Research Report, Stephenville, Texas. All in all, they collected 2.8 million radar returns among 139 megabytes of information. It took them hundreds of hours to analyze it all. Then, they cross-referenced these radar points with witness testimonies to try to see if any of it could be connected, and they were not disappointed. The radar summaries and visual depictions of crafts in this report are amazing. They show things like the fighter jets cruising at 16,300 feet at 600 miles an hour, fighter jets flying between unknown objects, the unknown objects moving at 2,000 miles per hour, vanishing, then reappearing on radar, one unknown object going from stationary to 532 miles per hour in 30 seconds, then decelerating back down to 49 miles per hour in 10 seconds. That's staggering. Schultz and Powell concluded that the radar data confirmed multiple witness observations of an object 
that did not display a required FAA transponder, so an officially unidentified flying object, as well as the Air Force's statement that said 10 aircraft, fighter jets, were operating in the area. They said it was too difficult to say what the witnesses saw, but that there was definitely something there. Whatever it was seemed to be making a mockery of the F-16s. The jets were, as UFO witness and veteran pilot Steve Allen put it, hopelessly outmaneuvered. Also, the entire collection of exhaustive radar data analysis conducted by Powell and Schultz was peer-reviewed by other well-qualified radar specialists, to use the terms in the report, and this is noted in the signed author's certification statements at the end of the document. The appendices also have all of the FOIA requests and the FAA and National Weather Service and various military responses. Those kinds of documents are always fun to look through for those of us who are into this kind of thing. The report also tells us that there was a military AWACS aircraft in the area, airborne for four hours at the same time of these sightings. The AWACS craft was flying at an altitude of 41,000 feet for most of the time. An AWACS is one of those planes with the huge enclosed radar array on top of it. They use them to monitor other aircraft during missions and training exercises. They can detect other aircraft at distances of up to 250 miles, as I understand it. The Powell-Schultz report does say that it's possible that the AWACS plane was monitoring an F-16 training mission, which the naval airbase claimed was the reason for those jets being there. But according to the report, the AWACS aircraft flew continuously for four hours that night. The fighter jet maneuvers only lasted for 70 minutes, at least officially. The MUFON report also provides yet another witness who never spoke to Joyner as far as I could find, and this witness is very interesting. Here is the paragraph directly from the MUFON report. Quote, The last time the object was seen on January 8th was by a former air traffic controller to the west of downtown Comanche. His description of the object was very similar to the constable's, he saw multiple lights moving around in a random fashion for almost a minute, and then they disappeared as if someone turned off a light switch. 10 to 15 minutes later, he saw military jets in the same area that he compared to the unknown object as raisins to a grapefruit. So, what he's saying is the military jet was the size of a raisin compared to a grapefruit when it was compared to the size of whatever this unknown object was. This person's name isn't given, but even so, an air traffic controller makes a pretty credible UFO witness, especially when the official stories are that witnesses mistook sunlight on a passenger jet and F-16s for the UFO they say they saw. Powell has given talks multiple times about the Stephenville UFO sightings and his MUFON report. His radio and other media appearances are, in a large part, responsible for the story persisting and not just falling away into obscurity. It's also worth noting that Powell is a scientist, 
His background includes a chemistry degree and work with semiconductors for advanced micro devices. He has never said definitively that the Stephenville witnesses saw an extraterrestrial craft, but he does contend that no one has been given a satisfactory answer as to exactly what people did see that night, and for that reason, he keeps pursuing the case. But this lack of an explanation doesn't rule out the extraterrestrial possibility for Powell. He does, after all, work for MUFON. In fact, here are a few sentences directly from the summary of the Powell-Schultz-MUFON Special Research Report, Stephenville, Texas. Quote, The first and primary conclusion is that there was definitely a real and physical object that appeared and was witnessed on January 8, 2008 in the Dublin-Stephenville area. It was not any known aircraft, the enormous size of the object, its complete silence, and its ability to travel at high rates of speed and to also remain stationary or travel at slow speeds is not explained by any known aircraft. The smallest size calculated from witness descriptions was 524 feet and most of the calculations based on approximate distance of the object and witness descriptions of degree of sky covered by the object indicated an object closer to 1,000 feet in size. Twice, radar picked up an unknown object flying at 1,900 to 2,100 miles per hour. The authors cannot comment on the source or origin of this object, but it is clear to the authors that the unknown object was real and not imaginary. This is a really good UFO case, and one that, even though it was big news in a small town, and it made the national news for a while, it's one that's still relatively unknown. It's a mass UFO sighting filled with credible and sober witnesses, corroborating radar data from a MUFON analysis, military backpedaling, and a possible cover-up, and a dedicated reporter. Angelia Joyner passed away at the young age of 59 on January 7, 2021, just a day short of exactly 13 years after the Stephenville UFO sightings that she made so famous, that she dedicated so much work to. She was a beautiful person in every way. She won beauty contests as a teenager, graduated with honors from Tarleton State University, was nearly a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. She was an animal lover and rescuer, and a mother and a grandmother, and I send her family wishes of peace and thanks for everything Angelia did for us all. As for the UFO story she broke, after doing this episode, it has become one of those that I would place among Roswell, the Phoenix Lights, and the Virginia Brazil encounters when people ask me, which UFO events I think are the most credible or important. We still have no clear answers to explain what so many people saw that night over Texas. So for now, keep looking up. Be sure to go back and check out Renegade Files episode 28, Close Encounters in Brazil, which is all about the possible alien creatures seen in the town of Virginia, Brazil in 1996. That show is a banger. Listen to it if you missed it, and 
easily share it if you liked it by posting a social media link to therenegadefiles.com and mentioning Renegade Files episode 28, Close Encounters in Brazil. If you do that, and if you also vote for Pedro, all of your wildest dreams will come true. So thank you. And thank you sincerely if you are already a Renegade Files agent on Patreon, you make the show possible, and you make it free and ad-free for everyone. So, cheers. Thank you sincerely for investigating these Stephenville UFO sightings with me. Subscribe to or follow the show now so together we can keep exploring the deepest unsolved mysteries where logic clashes with the official narrative. If you are new here, go back and check out the previous Renegade Files episodes. And remember to share the show with that one person that you know would love what we do here. Renegade Files exists for you, and it makes me happy to have you coming along on this adventure. I'm your host, Lex Gordon. Stay wild, covert child.